Wow, it's good to be here tonight at Resurrection Life. And after that introduction, I can't wait to hear myself. So uh, I did retire from pastoring just literally uh, four, four years ago, turned the church over to my son, and he's doing a fabulous job. And every time I come home, I simply tell him every time, I'm glad you've got the church, not me. I had it for 33 years. I'm doing what I'm enjoying most of all, and I love being around Bible schools, ministers' conferences to help train up a new generation. And I believe in this country, we are on the verge of a great revival, and I'm just glad to be a part of it to do what God's asked me to do. Turn in your Bibles tonight to Genesis chapter two. You know, in traveling, I wanna thank Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie for inviting me to come. Thank you so much. And uh, we've known each other kind of at a distance for many, many years. And when in Tulsa, they attended our church from time to time. And uh, anyway, it's great to be with you tonight and see what God has done and uh, what a blessing this is. As I travel, it's interesting, not only do I find this with young people, I find it with many of the older people too. When's God gonna show me his will? And I've had people in their 50s say, there's still something missing in me. I'm not sure if I'm doing what God wants me to do. I don't particularly like my job, although it's not bad. I just don't feel fulfilled in it. And I'm not telling you that God's will is necessarily working inside of a church or pastoring or whatever, because God can lead you into secular jobs, but you use your job to work for Jesus Christ. Everything in life you have can be used for him. My uh, dentist has for years been a part of Joyce Meyer's ministry and that he goes to different places with her. And I just went to him about three or four weeks ago, thought I'd seen, but he was in Guatemala filling teeth and getting people saved and receiving the Holy Spirit. That's what he was doing there. And so anyway, he comes back with these great reports. He loves his job. I mean, I can't imagine filling teeth. I can't imagine people opening their mouth in front of me. I gotta put my hands in there. But that's what he does, and the whole thing is, is, his, is he's using it for God. And yet he found that. God instructed him. He knew from God this was what he was supposed to do. But I find as I travel that there's still many people that ask this question of using which I think young people ask the question, how do I find the will of God? My father was a pastor, and uh, from the time that I was uh, five years old, uh, I was raised in a Christian home. My father knew he was called a pastor. And from the time I was five years old in kindergarten until the time I was in junior high school, he pastored three churches, rural churches, small churches. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, so he pastored a church in, in Kiefer, which has one intersection just north of Tulsa. And then he pastored a church in Independence, Kansas, a very small church. And then the last church he had was in Sepulpa, Oklahoma. But my dad got so tired in churches because he pastored in a time period where everybody thought the pastor, since we paid him, has to do everything. We just come, sit down, flop down on the bench, and of course, that man up there does everything. My dad, as well as working in American Airlines because he could not afford on the salary he made as a pastor to raise uh, my sister and I and then have a home and all that, so during the week, they were giving him calls all the time. He had to drive around and he had to go visit people in hospitals. He had to go visit the sick in homes. He had to do all the things a pastor did, marriages and, and funerals and all the things he did. And there was no help. Nobody wanted to help him. Whenever he would ask for help, people would basically say, that's what we're paying you for. And so finally, by the time he finished that third church, he was just totally tired. And he said, I'm not gonna leave God. I'm not gonna turn my back on God. I'm gonna put you in a great church. But he said, I probably won't pastor again. And he put us in a tremendous church. He picked the best church he could find in the city. We went and visited it and all of us felt like this is where we were supposed to do. 
for the first time ever when I walked up to the door, a greeter greeted me. I'd never been to a church where somebody greeted you. I walked in the church and there was ushers who said, can we help you with this certain place you'd like to sit? And I said, well, I mean, we said, yeah. So, I mean, by that time in junior high, I got involved in the youth department and then later on working in there and I began to teach a class in that church. And we actually found a church with people helping people because that's really what the body of Christ is, is people helping people. It wasn't up to the pastor to do everything. He had workers. We had a tremendous music department. We had a tremendous uh, nursery department, all these different things. And for the first time, I saw a church where people were helping people. But it seemed like also something else happened, which was tremendous. Every few weeks, we were, we were praying for people and sending them out into ministry. And that ministry might have been to move to some other city and, and take their occupation there. But the things they learned at the church, they want to take with them to win others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I saw happening is that a church where people were involved in helping people was a church that quickly saw people step out and find their callings in the body of Christ or find their calling as far as life was concerned. And so that always amazed me. And so uh, the church we went to there was amazing too because uh, the pastor who was there finally got so old that I mean, they, they finally had to turn it over to somebody else. And by that time, my sister and I, my father and mother had left that church because another church started out of that church with the church's blessing. This was not a church split. This was where the, pa the associate pastor left, my family went with him, and we started another church called Grace Fellowship, and that church just took off and became one of the largest churches in the city of Tulsa. But at that old church, I never kept much contact with it. I never talked to the for my pastor that had been there and, and helped raise me and train me, nor the youth department, nor the music department. I stayed at this church. I taught at Rama Bible Training Center for a number of years, and then finally became the dean of instructors. I then was felt a call to our church to pastor our church and never kept contact with that church that I came from until one day, years later, I got a call from the former music director who my wife and I sang in the choir and met in the choir. You can tell how old that was. We had choirs back then and they were called music directors. So anyway, he called me and said, I'm pastoring the church now. I said, you are? I said, yeah. He said, I led praise and worship at churches around the country. And I finally got a call from this church and they said, we loved you here. Would you come back and become the pastor? He said, I prayed about it and felt led to do it. I came back to Tulsa, the pastor of this church. He said, was I ever surprised? There was no young people in the church. All it was was old people, just old people. He said the church had dwindled and most of the old people that were there were there when I was there 20 years before, 25 years before. The church board, 80% of the board was still made up of people that were there when I was there 25 years ago. He says, I came there and he said, there was no greeters, there was no ushers, there was no teachers, there was no children's department. A flourishing, thriving church in the 1970s and 1980s had in the, by the year 2000 rolled around, lost all of the energy that church had. And so I asked him why, and he said, let's go to lunch. So he took me to lunch, and he started describing what that church was like. He said, through the years, he said, they never, ever really fought, got, got caught up with what's going on today. A lot of young people left the church. All the old people were there. And he said, today, I have no help. He said, the first thing I thought is, I've got to get these people helping me. So he said, my first series of sermons was four sermons. Number one, get involved in ushering and helping people. Number two, get involved in the music department. Number three, get involved in children's work. And number four, get involved helping the youth. Four weeks. He said, at the end of every service, I asked for people to fill out cards and become involved in the church. He said, nothing happened. No one did anything. They all sat there and stared at me and walked out of the church and left at the end. 
He said, by the third week, I was so frustrated because these people wouldn't do anything to help. He says, they complained that there was no children's department, but they didn't want to work in one. And so he said, it finally got to this. By the fourth week, he said, I hadn't preached yet on that fourth week, but I went to the board meeting and asked the board members, you guys are part of this church. Why, when I preach on getting involved, does no one even respond? And he, they said, well, have you noticed anything? And he said, what? They said, every time you preach on it, the offerings go up. He said, I never thought about it, but they have. They said, we're trying to tell you something. Go hire them. He said, go hire them. They said, yes. Go out and hire people to come in and work in the church. He said, I won't do that. The Bible discourages hirelings. We want people that love the church, love Jesus, love people. And they're to get involved. They said, we aren't going to do it. He said, my work is really cut out for me because all these people want to do is sit there. In other words, they became the church my dad started years ago, back in those days when they expected the pastor to do everything and no one would get involved. Have you found chapter two of Genesis yet? I want you to find chapter two. And I want you to look with me at chapter two of Genesis verse 21. Here it says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh around it. And from the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman and brought her to the man. This is when the Lord made Adam's wife Eve. But here we're told how it happened, but I wanna go back for just a moment to a few verses before this and find out what Adam was doing at the time when God did this for him and instructed him what to do. Look with me back at verse 15. In verse 15 it said, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. It was up to Adam to take care of the trees, the grass, all the things that were growing, and it was up to him to trim everything back. He was to take care of the garden, and look at verse 20. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every animal of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper for him. The Hebrew actually says there was not found a helper for him of his own species. I want you to notice that before God gave him a wife, he gave him a job. Girls, don't you dare get serious over a guy that doesn't have a job. All the parents said? All right, kids, listen to your parents. Well, I just think we can live off love. No, you cannot live off love. Walmart doesn't take love checks and they don't take love credit cards. They take things back by real money. And there's amazing thing that happens when you get married, you find out what things actually cost because mom and dad had bought them all these years. And I remember the first time my wife and I walked out of a grocery store the day, the two days after we got married and the bill was $45 from Safeway. I thought I could buy an eight track tape player for my car for $40. And here I am spending it on food. I mean, my world was turned upside down. I found out that we were spending money like water coming through. And of course today that's nothing. Today it's nothing for my wife and I to spend $200 on groceries, just going through the line, but we've woke up to the fact of just how much things cost. But we thought too, my wife and I, we could just live off love and we didn't have much of a job back then. So I want you to notice what God did was God gave him a job first and then after he gave him a job, he gave him a woman. What was he to do? He named all the animals of the field and he named them and I want you to notice, but for Adam, there was not found a helper of his own species. Every animal had a helper of its own species. They came by twos, two elephants, 
I'm sure as, as Adam named him Elephant, God said, no, 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 Adam. He said, okay, Elephants. And they turned around and walked off and Adam went, huh, one, two, one. Something's not right here. Hippopotamuses, horses, dogs, cats, all came up in pairs and turned around and walked off because every creature had another creature of its own kind. They had helpers. He did not have a helper. And so it finally came around after he named all the animals of the field. God says, now I'm going to make you a helper. And God put him to sleep. And when God put him to sleep, he literally formed out of him a helper. Woman is unique. The woman is unique because she's the only species taken from the male. All other animals came directly from the dust of the ground and the woman was taken directly from the man. Adam could not be incomplete. He was so complete. He, every day was complete. He had no capacity to be lonely. In fact, he couldn't be lonely because there was nothing in it to be lonely. He was complete. But when God removed that part out of him and from the rib and from the inside of him made a woman, when Adam woke up, he was suddenly incomplete and he looked to the woman and God said, here's the part that makes you complete. In marriage, man and woman are the only two that complete each other. With dogs, it can be any two dogs. With cats, it can be any two cats. With horses or whatever, it could be any two horses, but with a man and a woman, God has designed it. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one as they were in Adam from the beginning. That's good stuff. Now what happened here was, this is what God did before he brought a woman. So I'm gonna give you four points. Four points on finding a mate. So you young people, grab your pins as fast as you can because I'm gonna give you four points on finding a mate. The first two had to do with Adam, and the second two had to do with God. And it says here in, in these verses, first of all, Adam had to get to work. So the first point is, is get to work. Now I'm not talking about just a secular job, I'm talking about a job that literally works with people. Something that is spiritual, working in a church, or else using your job to bless people. And so the first thing Adam had to do was get a job, go to work. Adam obeyed God, he guarded the garden and named the animals before Eve was made. Point number two, point number one, get to work. Point number two, go to sleep. What do I mean by that? I mean quit fretting over where she is or he, quit running around looking for somebody, go to sleep and rest on the promises of God. If God promised he'll supply all of your need according to his riches and glory, then finding a mate is one of them. So point number one, get to work. Point number two, go to sleep. Point number three, God will make a perfect mate for you. God knows you better than you do. And when God made a mate for Adam, Adam had no input in on it. God knew what was best for Adam. And when Adam woke up, I'm sure the first thing he said was, va, va, voom, she doesn't look like an elephant. <laughs> she doesn't look like any creature I have seen. She looks like me, but oh my goodness, is she better. And point number four, God will bring the mate to you. You don't have to run around looking for them. God didn't tell him, I've hid her in a cave. You've named all the animals. You've got plenty of time now. I've just hidden her somewhere in the garden. Go around, have fun looking for her. No, when Adam woke up, there she was. God brought the woman to him. There's a verse of scripture in Ecclesiastes, chapter seven, verse 29, that says that, God has made man upright, but we have sought out many inventions. What that means is, let me ask you a question. Has anybody here ever been guilty of trying to help God? Be honest. Anybody ever found out you made more mess than when you started? 
if you just kept your hands out of God business. Do you know why God made Adam and Eve at the end of the last day? So they couldn't help. <laughs> yeah, everything was done by the time he made Adam and Eve. If he'd have made them first, Adam would be good. Can I help you? I have another idea. No, you see, God knew what he was doing. So Adam and Eve, here again, by the time they came together, God knew better what they wanted. And it says that man's always trying to put new inventions together. You say, well, we haven't done that today. Yes, we do. We have match.com, christianmingle.com, singles classes, attending a Bible college, going to a college somewhere and planning on meeting someone when you get there. It all comes back to this, is Adam didn't even think about the woman. Adam went to sleep. God said, I will do this for you. And God put, or he had a job first, and next of all, God put him to sleep. And thirdly, God made a woman while he was asleep, while he was not thinking about it. And finally, God brought the woman to him. And God has not changed it at all. Have you ever noticed this? Let me ask you a question. You know, with Match.com and all these other, I asked some of the, the singles at our church one day, what is it, how does this work? They said, well, I fill out a form, I put all my likes and dislikes on there, and then he puts all his likes and dislikes, and they match us together. So when we get together, we have all these things that we match, that's why it's called Match.com. Can you couples verify this for me? You are complete opposites, could I see your hand? Isn't that amazing? My wife and I are so opposites. She's a night person, I'm a day person. She likes classical music, I like classic rock. And movies, my Lord, are we completely different on movies. Have you women like Hallmark, can I see your hand? I don't get it. I just don't get it. Every story is the same. One happens in New York in a big city, one happens in a small city. She either is the head of a department of a large corporation or she owns a muffin shop. <laughs> and he is a handyman or a fix-it guy or else he owns a Christmas tree farm. <laughs> and they are complete opposites. They don't match in any possible way but somehow they keep running into each other and she had a guy that years before left her and she's never been happy since and she says, I don't want a man. I don't know how they're falling for each other and they come, but we're opposites, we don't match. And somewhere they start falling in love during the movie and about 30 minutes before the movie is over, her old boyfriend comes back and she's now confused. <laughs> and she doesn't know what to do. And she's listening to the old boyfriend tell her how to a mistake he made. And now that she wants it, she doesn't know if she wants him back or not. Now she doesn't, and you're yelling at the screen the whole time, no, no, it's the Christmas tree guy. He's the one you want. It's the guy that is the carpenter, not this other guy. And so they're getting more interested. And finally, by the end of the show, they're just now getting back together. And in the last few minutes, they fall in love. And there's been so many commercials during the show that you reach up there because you think a commercial's coming on. And they go straight into the next movie without a commercial. And you're going, maybe this one's different. No, 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 it's not different. It's the same one over again. And then November and December roll along and Christmas and Hallmark collide for two months and my wife's in the bedroom. <laughs> I can hear her crying in there. And she's talking about how wonderful these Christmas movies are. And I said, honey, what is it about these movies? She says, they're love stories. I said, no, they're not. Let me tell you what a love story is. It's a man standing beside a 1968 Hemi Charger.
In one hand, he has a girl he just rescued from the bad guys. In the other arm, he's got a double barrel sawed off smoking pump shotgun. And there's a dozen dead bad guys laying on the ground and the credits come rolling up the screen. That is a love story. You know what my wife says about my movies? They're all the same. Huh. But we find out again, let, let me tell you what. And yet so often, I mean, I saw a girl one day when I was at Rama, and she brought me a list and she said, here's what I'm looking for in a husband. I looked at her list and said, honey, I don't think Jesus would qualify. This is the most incredible list I've ever seen. I don't think the guy's out there. She had all the stuff that he has to be. I said, honestly, when you meet the guy, he'll probably be different than you think. Because God's not reading your list. God knows you better than you know you. And one day he's gonna bring somebody across your path. And you don't have to run from church to church. You don't have to run from seminar to seminar. You don't have to visit singles groups and other churches. All you have to do is stay here and be faithful to work with God's people. And he will bring his will to you. He will bring the one for you. I've had more people in our church. One girl just said, she told me, she said, I'm gonna leave the church. I said, why? She said, all the good guys are taken. I told her, you stay still. I said, because by the time you run over to this next church, he's probably running to this church looking for you. And you go someplace and he goes someplace else. I said, you just stand still and you get more involved in the church than ever before and he will come. And God moved a man from Arkansas. When we prayed in church, a guy in Arkansas heard the voice of the Lord and said, shut your business down and move to Tulsa. He did, came to our church, they met and ended up on the mission field together. God brought them together just like he did with Adam and Eve. I can't find one place in the Bible where they had to run around looking for a husband or a wife. They just stayed there and God brought the wife to them. In the case of Isaac, he stayed plowing the field and Rebekah was brought to him and they recognized each other. And so this is what God does. And I know what you're probably thinking. I thought we were gonna talk about finding the will of God. And so far we haven't talked about finding the will of God. Yes, we have. That's what we've been talking about. Four points on finding the will of God. Number one, get to work. Number two, go to sleep and rest on God's promises. Get to work helping people, ushering people, working in the youth department, working with children, working here helping people get close to God or finding Jesus as their savior. You may think I've got other things to do. You will never find anything as rewarding as leading someone to the Lord Jesus in a church service. You've never found reward like helping a young person get out of their trouble, helping a child get straightened out from whatever's being taught in the world. You show them what the word has to say and you set them on a course that will last all of their life. Things I learned in children's church and youth department are still with me today. And I thank God for those people and we'll meet them in heaven who took that time to work with me. And you start doing that and God will move heaven, earth, and hell to get a mate to you or he'll move heaven, earth, and hell to get his will to you. I know if you ask most people today, what does it take to find the will of God? And most people will tell you, pray. Prayer's important, but I can't find one person in the Bible who was praying when God brought his will to them. Moses was tending sheep when he ran across the burning bush. David was tending sheep when the, when the prophet came to his house looking for the next king. Gideon was on the threshing floor when the angel approached him about taking the leadership of Israel. And Elisha was plowing when Elijah came to him, threw the mantle around him to become the next prophet to stand in his place. Oh, not just that, the New Testament. They were either fishing, collecting taxes, 
Or in chapter six, we have seven men that were chosen to be faithful in the church, help the widows, take care of them, and it happened so rapidly that the next two chapters were dedicated to two of them as they entered full-time ministry. The first evangelist and the first teacher appeared in the next chapter. Stephen was one of them, and literally their whole life was changed, and then God brought his will to them because they got involved helping people. All I can say is this, there's never enough help in a church. There's never enough ushers. There's never enough children's workers. There's never enough musicians. There's never enough to help in every department of the church. I don't care how big or small it is. You may say, well, people won't see me back there. God sees you back there and he will bring his will to you. In closing, I had a young man at our church and I understood he could take pictures very well. Photographer. I had just taken the church. This was before all of the... Uh, modern stuff we have today. And so I asked him, I said, would you take pictures in the church? I said, just show up at events, take pictures. I'll pay you by the picture. He said, no. I said, what? He said, no, I'm called to the mission field. I really feel strongly that the mission field is going to open up very quickly within the next few weeks. And I don't want to commit to you when I know the mission field is going to open up. I said, well, okay. And about two months later, I saw him still in the church. I went to and asked him again, would you take these pictures? He said, no, it's so strong in me now. I think by next week, I'm gonna get a phone call from some missions organization and they're gonna call me. He said, I've sent my resume out and I just know they're gonna call me at any moment and I don't wanna commit to you and then have to turn back my back on you and go do something else. I said, okay, but by the third time, after two more months, I came to him and he said, it's so strong in me now, I think the phone could ring before the end of the day. And I looked at him, I said, it won't happen. He said, why? I said, unless you get faithful with me today, it won't happen tonight, next week, or anytime. Until you get faithful, God isn't looking for people that are sitting around. He's looking for people that are doing something. And I said, the longer you sit around waiting on this to happen, that door won't open until today you commit. And I guarantee you, if you'll take these pictures and taking pictures today, and God opens a door for you next week, he'll have somebody to replace you here at the church by next week. I just ask you to get involved. He said, I never thought about that. He started taking pictures in the church and he took pictures for three years before the door opened up to the mission field. But still credits it till this day, just getting involved in the church and helping people was what helped open up the door for God showing his will in their life. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Maybe there's some things in your life that seem so unfulfilled. Perhaps it's that call on your life, what does God want me to do? Maybe by now you've almost given up on it because you don't know what God wants you to do. But I'm simply telling you here tonight, God always finds people that are doing something. The little verse says, when the Lord comes, will he find us doing? That's what he's looking for. Prayer is important. Loving God is important. Drawing close to him is important. But God didn't leave you in this earth to do that. He left you in this earth to win others to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. My commitment to work in our church, I taught classes, helped with youth department, helped to open up a door for me into the full-time ministry. I didn't ask for pay, I didn't ask for recognition. I just looked for any open door that I could find. And this has been true throughout the Word of God. And this is what God wants to do with you. So if that's you tonight, I simply want you to examine your heart I want you to examine your heart and then say, Lord, would you begin to guide me and show me what areas of the church I can become involved in? 
Or maybe you don't know exactly what the church needs, but you can talk to somebody at the information booth or else somewhere else and find out what's needed and God will point to one of those and say, why don't you do that? Because it'll line up with your interests. And then you'll find one of the greatest commit, one of the greatest things of all, and that is the rewards that come by helping other people. And all I can tell you is hang on because God's will is moving from somewhere around this world to find you. That's how much he loves you. But I want to ask another question. Is there anyone here tonight that has never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? You're not here by accident tonight. You're here by divine design. And I mean by that, it was arranged in God's plan that you would be here tonight, hear this sermon, but more than that, understand God has a life for you where he wants to show you incredible things, but it all starts with you inviting him to live in your life. For you to get off the throne of your life and give it to the Lord Jesus Christ and find real blessing like you've never found before. I want you to understand when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he had you personally in mind. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You are the joy that was set before him. When he went to the cross, he saw your face and died for you. He didn't die for himself. He had no reason to die for himself. He died for you and did what you couldn't do so that you can have the kind of life you've heard in the praise and worship tonight and you've heard in the sermon tonight. Tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to redeem you. He came to this earth to do that and ask you tonight to give your life to him. Say, I don't understand. He doesn't ask you to understand. He simply says, do it. And he'll begin to show you such great things in the days to come of what happened tonight. Would you hold up your hand for just a moment if tonight you would like to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life? Just hold your hand up real high. Pastor Bob, that's me. My life is meaningless. I have no direction in life, but tonight I want to give my life to the creator of the universe and the one who created my life. And I think if he created me, he can readjust me and show me what his plan is for my life. Would you hold your hand up real high? That's me. Tonight I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. There's a hand right there. Thank you. Anyone else? There's a hand right here. Thank you. Anyone else? I want you to understand this is a life-changing decision. It doesn't just change now, it changes eternity. You're making an eternal decision tonight. Anyone else want to join these three that have raised their hand? Pastor, that's me. Tonight I want to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life and find real meaning in life. Anyone else? I'd like to ask everybody to stand for just a moment. And I want to ask those who raise their hand to do something even more important now. And let's step out from where you are and come and join me right down here in front. Just step out, come on. There were some others, come on. another challenge to you that raise your hands but you didn't come down maybe you're thinking tonight well I knew I held my hand up that was kind of private but right now I'm embarrassed to come down in front of everybody 
Because your question is, what will everybody think? I'll tell you what we're thinking. It's wonderful. That's what we're thinking. It's wonderful. Because I can tell you this, everybody here at one time or another did the same thing and they wouldn't change that day for anything else in life. So step out, come on, join us. If you raised your hand, if you wish you would have raised your hand, would you step out and join us right down here in front? Because I can tell you this, you think it's great that we're applauding? The Bible says tonight because of you, one person, there's a party going on in heaven and angels are rejoicing over you tonight.